Welcome to another episode of Reverse Ambition, a podcast that features those who take a leap of faith to follow their dreams and passion. My name is Kelsey Cooper, the social broker, and today we have a real one, ladies and gentlemen. He's a former New York City police officer. He's a former New York State Senator. He is currently the borough president of Brooklyn, the first African-American to be elected to that position. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Eric Adams. How you doing, sir? Hey, brother. How are you, man? Uh, so good to be on your podcast. And it's deep the name of it, Leap of Faith, uh, because, you know, that is really, it personifies uh, my story. And sometimes, you know, people look at the titles that you held and they believe that there's something special about you to allow you to get there. And they think your book is just one big romance novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, When in fact, in the pages of my book from the beginning to where I am now, there's been a series of different types of books. There's been love stories, been novels, there's been tragedies. Wow. Uh, It has been comedies. It's an accumulation. And so it's just about a leap of faith. Yeah. All right, so let's get it started, man. I'm eager to hear this journey. Um, the first question I usually ask is, walk me through your journey in terms of where you were born, where you went to school, and you know what was your ambition then compared to what it is to what you end up being now. That sounds good. You know, without a doubt, uh, born in Brooklyn, Brownsville. It was a different place back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, uh, you know, I used to think that down the block, it was Broadway. I thought that was the same Broadway that Sammy Davis Jr. Jr. <laughs> would hang out on. Little, little did I know <laughs> that right. was not the reality. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, came from an amazing mom who just instilled the right energy in all of us. Mm. All, of us really being, all of us that, being like how many? Six of us. Okay, Wow. Six. It, it was. It was six of us, uh, four boys and two girls. Okay. And and uh, it was you know that that foundation. You know, when we talk about leap of faith. Uh, that's who she was. You mm. know, mom just from the time she left Alabama to the time she came to New York, it was about just taking a leap of a leap of faith. Wow. And the story that I always share that really defines her. Uh, you know. She she had a she was wise. You know, a lot of people are intelligent and academically uh, gifted, but they're not wise. Wisdom is a big difference. The mom mm-hmm. was wise, and mm-hmm. so she would she would clean other people's homes and iron their clothing. And you know, I remember her coming home one day. I remember like it was yesterday, and saying that I'm going to move my family out of uh, Brownsville. Crime was high. Mm-hmm. Uh, drugs was high, violence it was a lot of street gangs, and she she was ironing shirts and towels and going and cleaning the houses of people. Wow! And people laughed at her when she said she was going to leave uh, Brownsville, and she just had another vision. And so, uh, mom then eventually saved up enough money for us to move to Queens, to buy a house in Queens, nice. uh, South Jamaica, Queens. Mm-hmm. And when she, went, when she went to the closing, the person she cleaned his house was the attorney for the bank at the closing. Wow. And he said, he, he said, he said you know, Dorothy, what are you doing here? And she, <laughs> said, this is, she, she said, this is my house. Wow. And so she finished the, finished the clothing, closing, Went to his house. She cleaned up for him. And when he finished, when she finished, he fired her. What? You know, you know, and he says, how dare you think you're going to buy a house? And she she says, son. Yeah, no, it's deep. She says, son, I went into the train station. I cried out and I screamed. I yelled as the trains went by. Then I dried my eyes and I went home. And I said, I got to keep this house for my six children. Mm. And it was rooted. It was routine for us. People used to call us the glad bag because we used to bring a glad bag to school mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. People didn't realize she made sure we carried clothes with us because we thought the marshal was going to come and throw us out. Wow. And she didn't want us to be embarrassed by not having clean clothes. Wow. 
And she just took she took a leap of faith, man. And you know, every uh, time And she's a single she's a single someone, parent. Single parent, huh? My 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 dad was there, you know, he he was there and he was not there. Mm. You know, he my, my my dad had a good heart. He was a beautiful person, mm-hmm. but he was a terrible father, mm. you know. Sometimes we force fatherhood on folks when, in fact, it's not their role. Not mm. everybody fits every role. Right. You know, yeah. and so she navigated it, mm. and she still lives in that house, that house today. I moved her out uh, eight years ago, moved into a hotel, and we gutted the whole house and rebuilt it for her. She said, nice. baby, every day I feel like I'm in a hotel. Nice. You Yo, know, She deserves all yeah. that, man. Oh, man, and some, and mm. some. But you know, but that's the foundation mm-hmm. of of where uh, you know I came from from a mother with spirit, a spirit and energy like that. Mm-hmm. So was the move to Queens a better, uh, Jamaica Queens uh, better, or um, compared to Brooklyn? Well, it, it was a it was a different place, you know. But life is interesting. Um, every new level, there's a new devil. Mm. And Ooh, I like to, that. And you're going to deal with you're going to deal with new challenges. You, uh-huh. you know, folks who believe that they're not going to have to deal with challenges at every level is they just setting themselves up for failure. So we moved to uh, Queens, went to PS140, then IS8. At 15, I was arrested. My brother wow. and I were arrested. Yes, in South Jamaica, Queens, uh, cops beat us bad you know, kicked us in our groin repeatedly and why you guys were arrested? Uh, just just because or for for we 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 used to I used to run numbers oh. in South Jamaica Queens. Yeah. And for this cat that was a pimp mm. and his and his um one of his uh, girls broke her leg and we were taking care of her while her leg was was broken and she owed us money and we took the liberty of removing her TV, <laughs> and they char- <laughs> we liberated it. All right, I and, get it. I get it. And and they they charged us with uh, like they charged me with I think criminal trespassing. They charged my brother with burglary. Mm-hmm. And it was um, you know after that you know terrible encounter with the police, it just turned my brother off. And it just made me angry. I still think today my brother deals with mental health issues because mm. of that beating. Man, and we you know we suffered. We suffered from PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know, every time we saw saw a police car, we thought about that beating. Every time I wow. saw a TV show, every time I heard a siren. So it wasn't until it wasn't until the eighties that I was in an organization called National Black United Front. Mm-hmm. Herbert, Reverend Herbert Daughtry from the House of the Lord Church. Mm-hmm. He came to thir- he came to thirteen of us, and he told us that after a brother named Randolph Evans was shot and killed by the police, we used to we used to fight against police brutality mm-hmm. in the National Black United Front. And when Randolph Evans was shot and killed by a housing cops, Reverend Herbert Daughtry and the other leaders of Black United Front told 13 of us to go into the police department and fight from within. Wow. And I was like, are you got, I was like, you out of your mind, man, it's easy cat that beat us down. <laughs> right. So that's you how you know? became a cop? Yes, yes, yes. So yes, you had no you ambitions of being a cop, huh? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> you know, but but they had enough wisdom to know that in order for us to deal with the pain of that that beating, mm-hmm. we had to we had to go within because that was mm. a demasculation. Right. And so I went I went in with a vision, man. You know, right. some people used to say they used to say, "Man, this guy's crazy." Right. <laughs> you right. Know? But they didn't realize they didn't realize I was fighting a demon within. Right. You know, and so it was it was after going into the police department that. We started 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care, mm. and and we fought against police abuse. And people didn't realize we were there on a mission. We had an assignment to do. I didn't expect. I didn't expect to do 22 years. Mm. I thought that you know. How long were you were initially thought you were going to be in and out? 
A week. Anything you gonna get selected, huh? Man, listen, I was buck wild, man. People would tell you during those days I was buck wild because wow. the whole thing was I was like, I was like, you know, fuck it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going back to my computer. Um, you know, I wanted to be Cisco qualified, so I was mm. like, listen. Every day I was coming in there just stir. I was a rookie stirring mm-hmm. up stuff. Word. Because the mission was not to be there long. Right. And just to go to, go there, raise the fuss, and bounce. The easiest, the fastest way to get bounce was to raise the fuss. Right. And you they know? didn't bounce you, though. And so, <laughs> no, no, no. Because, you know, I live by a rule. You can't be strong and wrong. Mm. So if I'm going to be there, I'm going to study. I'm going to continue to move up in rank. Even though I didn't think I was going to be there a long time, I still said that, you know what? I'm applying myself, mm. no matter if I'm here or not. Right. And so I studied and became a police officer special assignment. Then I became a sergeant. Then I became a lieutenant. And I became a captain. And in the end of my career, end of my career, they tried to fire me mm-hmm. uh, in the end of, end of my career. But what was powerful is that the journey, as I talk about the love affair, the tragedies and the comedies is that, you know, mom saw me going from breaking the law to becoming a cop, enforcing the law. And then I went to Albany to write the law wow. and become the first black, black ball president. And right. So, you know, you don't surrender. Mm. Don't, don't, don't never give up. No matter, you know, being down does not mean you're out and, and end of the road. You know, as I say, a bend of the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Right. And I just continue to make the turn every time I hit that bend. I didn't misinterpret it. Mm-hmm. And the deep part is, the, the most important part that I want all your listeners to know. Listen, man, ain't nothing special about me, man. I was a solid D student in high school. Mm. You know? <laughs> you know, I was Did you go to college? Grinder. Did you go to college at all? Yeah. Yep. I went to, it took me 14 years to get my master's. I did two classes. Every semester, wow. my son was born. I had to break it down to one class, mm. and I grind. Right. I grind, man. You know, I knew I knew my weaknesses. I knew my strength, right. and I knew that other ca- other cats can study for an hour. I knew I had to study for six hours. Mm. Hey, there ain't no thing, you know. <laughs> but right. the name of the game, I just grind. Work ten times harder than know. everybody else, huh? That's all, brother. That's all. Right. You know. All right. So and, you and so. Go ahead. And so that was the that was the complexity of the beginning that laid the foundation to you know who I was and you know who I am and the commitment of our of of, of my dedication to our people. Mm. You know, our people went through struggles, and then and you know during that journey of as I was sharing of you know in South Jamaica Queens I'll never forget we used to go to this to this small church small storefront church we used to call it I used to call it a cheers church mm-hmm. everyone knew your name and everyone was glad you came mm-hmm. and we used to, we used to go to service during the day go home eat and then go back at night mm-hmm. and you know we that that middle part we you know rarely happened you know we didn't go, we didn't eat we just went home and just you know kicked around but one day after we finished the day service, or the evening service, a car caravan of women pulled up to our house, and they started unloading boxes of groceries wow. from their cars. And I was so happy that night, around 2 in the morning, 1, 2 in the morning, I went downstairs and looked in the boxes. You know, all the boxes were open. Half a box of spaghetti, half a box of cornflakes. You know, everything was like in halves or in thirds. Mm. Those sisters could not afford to buy us groceries. They mm. gave us half of what they had. Wow. And they just they just wanted to provide for us. You know, there were many days we would go out on Easter and there'd be six pairs of shoes on the back porch that someone donated to us. Or there would be a pair of slacks or pants or wow. some sneakers. And, you know, so when I hear people talking about they don't want to, help homeless people. There was no, you, growing up back then, there was no goddamn homeless. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. You, you took your neighbors in. Mm. <laughs> you, you, you provided for your family. You, mm. you, you made a way. You, you knew Dorothy had six children. 
she needs something to eat. Hey, block, let's get together and get that family something to eat. Nice. You know, nice. that's what that's what it was about. And that's the root of what I was built on, mm. you know, and that's what I went into policing. So you'll get folks who will criticize me and say, well, you know what? He's police. We don't like police. And he's pro he's pro police. No, I ain't pro police. I'm pro public safety. Wow. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I am. Wow. <laughs> you know, people people want to rewrite the history. But I was in this city when we were having 2,000 homicides a year. Mm. And East New York was called Myrtle Capital because I remember of that. so many deaths. I remember that. And grandmothers used to grandmothers used to stand on lines at NYCHA buildings to get in their apartments because crack dealers controlled the entire building. Damn. And we used to walk home young girls from school because their sisters were raped or molested or wow. sexually abused. Wow. I know that part of the city. Right. And so I, I don't want I don't want a cop in blue uniform shooting our people like Diallo. And mm. I don't want somebody in a blue jeans selling crack on my corner and shooting up my corner. Cause no mother get a consolation prize that if she lost her child to a racist cop mm. or to some gangbanger. Right. And that's the reality of it. Right. You know? And so we must be safe. Mm. That's how, that's how, that's how I am. And some people interpret it as, well, you know what? You blow cop. You, you interpret as any way you want. Right. Just don't hurt my community. Right. right. <laughs> That's the bottom line. So uh, you said at the end of your career, police officer, you said 23 years? You did 20, 20, 22. 22. And they flew by. Flew by. Um, <laughs> so you said you went into politics after. What inspired you to like, okay, I'm done with this part of my life. I'm going to go into politics now. Just seeing every day, man, walking into nitra apartment and watching children sleep in crates in kitchens mm. just watching watching the destruction having young people you arrest and they can't write their names mm. and I, and it started started to dawn on me that policing was just treating the symptom Mm. and not the underlying cause mm. and i said wait a minute man these laws and these rules need to be changed. And I, and, and I started hanging out with some of the elected officials and realizing that many of them was, were, some, some were not committed to real change. Mm. And then I started meeting elected officials like Al Van, Annette Robinson, uh, uh, Arthur Eves, these powerful, legendary figures who change the game in the landscape of this city. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? We can do some real things. I, and I tell your listeners, they need to go read up on what Al Van did, what Arthur Eve did, the laws that they passed and how it impacted their lives. A lot of cats think that the things that they are benefiting from now, that all of a sudden it dropped out of nowhere. Mm. No, man, Negroes had to fight. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> you know? People, people gave up a lot, you know, and you look at the creation of Mega Evers College. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at uh, the Voting Rights Act. Um, Al Van, an assemblyman, had major a major case of of, of presented in front of the Supreme Court that dealt with uh, the voting rights here in Brooklyn, changing the congressional lines, fighting for congressional seats. Mm-hmm. These guys were pioneers, man. Mm-hmm. And so I said. You know what? If you if I take that same energy I took into the police department into politics, then I could be a formidable force, mm. and I could fight and do some things that's really strong and really progressive, and to change how we govern our city. And so that's why I said, you know, it's time to move on and go into politics. I ran for state senate. Several people were in the race. When I got in the race, everybody got out. I ran on the polls. I ran for. Why they I got out? They were scared president. of you. Why, why they Listen, got out? Man, I was, I was, uh, I was doing my thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, wow. I had a name. Oh, okay. I had a name by that time. Okay. Same oh, how long? How from, long since you left the police department before you ran? I, I the police department was trying to bring me up on. Uh, departmental charges because of because I challenged them for not deploying police in communities of color after a terrorist threat. Mm. And so I was on my way out the door. Mm-hmm. I was uh, Giuliani, Giuliani 
Oh, that man, dude. Bloomberg and Commissioner Keller. Yeah, yeah. You, let me tell you about, I'll tell you about him in a moment. You put an asterisk on that. Um, so, <laughs> right. So Com- Commissioner Kelly and the rest of them, they said, you know what? We're going to move on this cat. Mm, I'm trying to make and, an example of and you. I huh? was, right, right, right. And I, I went from, in 2005, I retired. In 2006, I was sworn in. As a state senator. Damn. Didn't miss one B. Damn. Yep. So miss- they kind of help you, huh? They- right, right. Without even, without even, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, listen. When man, when man meant to harm you, God makes to help you. Mm. Mm. I just keep it moving. Keep uh, keep it moving. And it was a it was a good run, man. I learned so much in policing, and uh, it was an amazing career. And I learned how the power, let me tell you something, law enforcement is one of the most powerful institutions in this country. Mm-hmm. And don't let anybody fool you. That's the original gang. Mm. And they're, they're extremely powerful. We, think about this for a moment. What other, what other institution has the authority to take, o- take away two of the most important rights we have as Americans? The right to freedom and the right to your life. Mm, Law wow. enforcement. Damn. The president can't even take your life. Damn. The president can't even take your freedom. Mm. Law enforcement is the only entity that has the authority to take your life and to take your freedom. Mm. That's a lot of power. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? I, well, I'm glad you were in, bro. I'm glad you, you know, you, you, you went in and you, you know. Raise hell. Um, <laughs> so, okay, now you're in the Senate. How was that experience? And how? what challenges did you, did you face in there? It was deep. It was deep. It was, it was, we, we, when we got to the Senate, in, in politics, the goal, the goal is to be in what's called the majority party. Mm-hmm. Like the battle we're having in, in Washington right now between who's in the majority and who's in the minority. Mm-hmm. If you're in the majority, that means you have more elected members of your party and you control hundreds of billions of dollars mm. in the in the, uh, the state and in the city and trillions of dollars if you're on the federal level. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money, it's a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. And so while I was in the Senate, I came into the Senate, we were in the minority. The first, the first term after I got there, we took over the majority. Mm. Prior to that, it was, over, it was over 70 years since we were in the majority. Wow. Are we talking about Democrats? And, or? Right. Okay. Democrats. Democrats. Mm-hmm. We, were in the, we were in the minority for over 70 wow. years. Wow. It makes all sense. It makes those, sense of all that stuff that happened in New York. How it, there you go, how it happened. There you why go. it happened. All that money, billions of dollars, was going outside our city. Because at that time, there, there was only a, a small number, three or four senators that, came, that were Democrats. Mm. And so our, commu- our community was denied resources. It was denied services. It was denied laws. We were just in a real bad place. Mm-hmm. because we were in the minority for all those years. Mm. And so once we got in the majority, we were able to do real things. I was one of the co-sponsors of the Rockefeller drug law oh. bill to reverse mm-hmm. the Rockefeller drug law, which was deep because when I was a sergeant, I used to protest at Rockefeller Plaza with a man named Randy Credico to denounce the Rockefeller drug law and force the state legislators to... Uh, reverse the drug laws. Cash was going to jail for 25, 30 years for possession on small uh, quantities of drugs. Mm. And it was destroying lives. And so when I got to Albany, I was able to co-sponsor the bill to reverse the Rockefeller drug laws. Nice. We sponsored a bill to deal with stop and frisk. Uh, they used to keep a database of Everyone they stopped and questioned. A million black and brown boys were being stopped a year. They mm. used to keep a database of all of those names. We, uh, Hakeem Jeffries and I, and I, who's now a congressman, we were able to get that bill put in place 
and became a law that they could no longer keep that database nice. uh, inside the police department. Mm. And so we use we use the platform of the state to implement real laws during a time we were in the majority, and it was a very powerful period to be there. And I was pr- I was proud to be there and continue to move forward some progressive legislation with some progressive ideas. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So wherever you went, you've been impactful, bro. But this brother just grinding. I use, that's my term, grinding. Grinding. You know, just, Grind. just, just taking leaps of faith. Wow. That's the goal. Just taking leaps of faith. Facing the man, <laughs> challenging the man. Right, right, right. And that's what life, life is, man. Life is, life is challenging. And, and so when you look at the borough of Brooklyn, we had an extremely uh, popular Ball president and yeah. Marty Markowitz. Yeah, Marty was here for a long time. Um, we're two different people. Our styles are different. Uh, you know, I was really focused on. I was really focused on, you know, using this office uh, to uplift people. You know, right. we were dealing with some real crises in this borough: mm. uh, unemployment, poverty, housing. Um, our young people were dealing with real crises, and I wanted to focus on that. I, I didn't want to focus on some of the things that my predecessor did. He had his moment, and people people were saying, you know, he has big shoes to fill. And I was like, listen, I'm bringing my own pair of shoes. I'm not trying to fill anybody's <laughs> shoes. <laughs> like, you know, That's crazy. I got my own agenda. You know, I got my own agenda. And so... You know, so but what inspired the, those are the things that inspired you to leave the Senate and become, you know, go for bar president? Because uh, 21 years ago, when I saw when I saw how we can make this city run right, mm-hmm. my mentor was a, my mentor was a man. You know, I, I had some very influential and positive role models in my life. And two people come to mind. One was a man named Jack Maple. The other one was a man named Bill Lynch. Mm-hmm. Bill Lynch, uh, Jack Maple was a law enforcement extraordinaire. He, he, took, my, he took my computer skills. Because when I went into the police department, I was a computer programmer. Mm. And he took, my computer, he took my computer skills and showed me how we can make the city safe by policing in real time and using technology. Mm. And I was part of the team. I was part of a team of computer programmers who looked at monitoring policing and crime in real time, gave way to something we call ComStat now. And in one year, we went down 400 homicides. 25 years later, those 2,000 homicides have disappeared. and We're one of the safest big cities in America. Mm -hmm. And I spoke with Bill Lynch about that and bill lynch told me i I said bill this city can run better if every agency in the city went to a real-time model of governing Mm. our city our city will function better our department of education our department of building our homeless services our health care institutions right now we run cities all across america we run them based on annual reports. So mm. we try to fix problems after the problems have occurred. Mm. And, and one, of my, one of my favorite quotes came from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, we spend a lifetime pulling people out of the river. No one goes upstream to find out why people fell in in the first place. Mm. We, need to, we need to govern upstream. Mm. And... And so I shared that thought with Bill Lynch, and he told me, he said, Eric, you have, a, you have an associate's degree. I need you to go back to college and get your bachelor's degree so you can say you're a college grad. Instead, I didn't stop. I went back and got my master's. He says, you are a sergeant. I need for you to become a lieutenant. Go up one more rank so you can be in management. Mm. I didn't stop. I became a captain. Mm. He says that you need to get elected to become a state senator so you can learn how to write laws. I got elected to the state Senate. He says, you need to then uh, become a congressman or a borough president. I became the borough president. And he says, once you do those things, you'll be on your way to become the mayor of the city of New York. And you can govern how to implement the plan you said you want to implement. And so now in 2021, I'm going to finish the last level 
of this journey and be trying to. You sure? You sure about that? You sure that's gonna be the last level? You sound like you got a lot more. You can sound like you got a lot of. You sound like you're 20 years old, bro. You look, you're ready to go. <laughs> nah, that's the, that, that's the end of the journey, man. There's so much more to do in life as you started out in the beginning of this, and which is fascinating that it's about purpose, finding mm. your purpose. Mm. And I don't think anything is, you know, there are tragedies in life and then there are Shakespearean tragedies. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a Shakespearean tragedy when you don't live a purposeful life. Okay. When you don't realize your life has purpose. And my mm. life has purpose. When and did purpose you identify not, your purpose in life? That's a great question. You know, uh, I, I've always felt and believe, I should say, mm -hmm that, you know, I've been blessed in so many ways, you know, and I, I believe with all of me that, and I'm afraid that I'll lose my blessings if I don't continue to give blessings. Mm, deep. Like I, like I have, I have, I have tenants in my, uh, in my building that have been in my building. I have a four family house and I have, I have three tenants. And when my tenants moved in with me almost 15 years ago, they signed a lease that I said to them, I would never raise your rent as long as you're here. Mm. And I never raised their rent because I said, why do I have to charge them more? My mortgage is paid, paid. Mm. And when you give back, you get back. Mm. The universe is plentiful. And people who walk around with their holding and hoarding everything that's why they never have anything right and so to me that's my purpose giving back in a real way and it's and let me tell you something brother i tell people all the time it's not about the destiny it's the journey mm. it's the journey i you know being being male or not being male may not be my destiny it may right. not be what's meant for me it may be what i'm learning by going through the process of getting to become mayor may be what I really need to get to what I'm really supposed to be. Mm -hmm. That's deep. So I'm just enjoying the destiny. If like if I wasn't, if I wasn't just enjoying the journey, destiny, enjoying the journey, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be talking. Right, I, I'm enjoying the, the journey. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know you. Right. You know, I, I wouldn't know some of the fine people that I met in life. You know, so I'm just in this destiny, man. I'm this journey. I'm right. not, I'm not caught up on the success, I, I won't be defined by if I reach something or not. I want to be defined by the journey and mm -hmm. how well I did the journey. So, and that's a good, that's a good place to be. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So being the borough president of Brooklyn, what do you think about new Brooklyn versus old Brooklyn? I'm the man to ask, man, because I'm the cat that told folks go back to Ohio and go back to Iowa. Oh, you're trying to be mayor. You don't care, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're going to come with your arrogancy and your your uh, nastiness, you know, and people didn't really understand it. That was an entire speech. I, I encourage everyone to download my Dr. King speech because it was a speech. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just one comment. I talked about the fact that uh, we define crises differently mm -hmm. you know uh black mothers uh, a black woman dies from uh, uh from maternal morbidity 12 times the rates of white women mm. yet we see no national movement to address it mm -hmm. we see our federal and state lawmakers move at a rapid pace whenever there's a shooting in a sub suburb from an assault rifle but we don't move at that same pace when there's a shooting from, with a handgun. America doesn't have an assault rifle crisis. It has a handgun crisis. Mm. But the victims of handguns are black and brown. Mm -hmm. But we can't get legislation passed at all. But we move rapidly when there's an assault rifle shooting somewhere. Mm. The largest numbers of shootings in this country comes from handguns. Mm. But the victims are black and brown and in many cases poor. Mm -hmm. I've talked about the fact that young black and brown boys all over this country, not only in New York, but go to the south side of Chicago, go to Compton, 
Go to Mississippi. All over the country, black and brown boys are uneducated, drop out of school, low employment, highest level of diseases, most incarcerated, mostly the victims of the crime. No other ethnic group will tolerate their children being treated Mm. this way and remain silent. So when we have people moving into cities, Washington, New York, um, parts of Chicago, and displacing communities with a level of arrogancy and using city agencies to close down legitimate businesses, Mm. that's a problem. Mm. And we can't sit back and ignore it from happening. Mm -hmm. And then you you have landlords who are displacing long-term seniors and and people act like they discovered Brooklyn, Brownsville, (laughs) um, Bethesda-Stuyvesant, East New York, and don't even want to say good morning. Have your dogs pissing or defecating on my yard and Mm. don't want to pick it up. And then you're going to be discourteous, complaining about noises come from buildings on Sundays, which happens to be our black churches that have been there that long. Mm. I got a problem with that. Mm. <laughs> Damn. I got a problem with that. Damn. Well, and, it, and, it, and for people who said that it was racist, that's bull, because black people come from Ohio also. And mm-hmm. if they come with that same attitude, they don't need to be here just as well. Right. You come here and you embrace the city and you become part of the city. So if you had a perfect, you know, vision of what Brooklyn looks like and operates, what would that perfect vision be based off, you know, what you see the best of Brooklyn should be? The beauty of diversity. 47% of Brooklyn I speak a language other than English at home. You can walk into a Chinese restaurant, have a Russian cook, make you a Jewish meal that he learned from his Polish girlfriend that took a cookbook with an African-American or Caribbean. That's our diversity. Mm-hmm. That is the beauty of Brooklyn. We have this fusion. You can move around this borough and you see people who can really live their lives and really enjoy the diversity of this borough. That's the Brooklyn I want. I want a Brooklyn where it doesn't matter uh, where your neighbor came from, but your neighbor is embracing you, not trying to build small communities within your community mm. and patronizing local businesses. That's a Brooklyn that we like. And there are parts of Brooklyn like that. Mm-hmm. There are people that come from all over the globe and come to Brooklyn and they melt into Brooklyn. Mm. They become part of the energy and they bring their flair into Brooklyn, mm-hmm. their artistic experience, uh, their creativity. Those are the people we like in this borough. And mm-hmm. so no one should get it twisted. It's not about saying we don't have a welcome mat for all groups, but your welcome mat cannot turn into a displacement mat. Mm. It must be that we are inclusive together in the borough. Right. Well, now real estate is popping in Brooklyn. And because of that, a lot of old Brooklyn is getting displaced. How do we address that issue? How do we tell, how do we get old Brooklyn to stay put and not only stay put, to let people know that we've been here way before you guys have, so fall in line. How do we empower old Brooklyn based on what's going on now with new Brooklyn trying to be loud and call the cops for every little thing and, you know, (laughs) looking at you like you don't belong here and, you know, (laughs) landlords trying to kick, you know, kick you out because they know they could get high rent and all that stuff. How do Right, and that's a great question. Mm-hmm. And, and government has to government has to play a role in that. We have to build housing that's affordable to all Brooklynites. Uh, that is one of the roles that government must play. Mm-hmm. Uh, our housing stock must be affordable. Uh, we must play a, a major role in ensuring that uh, we go after those landlords that attempt to displace people illegally. You damage property so that people can't stay in their homes. That's criminal mischief. They Mm -hmm. need to be locked up. Mm -hmm. You throw people out of their homes, that's illegal eviction. They need to be locked up. You create a fire to burn people out, that's arson. They need to be locked up. We need to send a message. Until you have landlords on perp walks, Mm -hmm. you're never going to send the right message that you're serious about not displacing people. 
Mm-hmm. Then we need to build senior housing. We need to build real senior housing. I believe we can build that on NYCHA property where you can build. You have a lot of seniors who no longer need all the space that they have in their apartment, but it makes no sense for them to leave because if they leave, they're going to move them out of the borough, out of the community. You spend 30, 40 years in a community, you don't want to be displaced Mm -hmm. out of your community. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I believe that senior housing on NYCHA property should allow seniors to remain in their community so they can have a place that's, that's familiar for them and they can be a part of the evolution of the community. So we have to be creative and ensure that people have an affordable place to live. Housing is a, is a right, and mm-hmm. we need to make sure that people have that right who have been here in this, bur- in this borough for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, we're talking about you know, New York and all that's going on in New York now. Um, you mentioned a lot of seniors, you know, how, what does it look like in the hospitals? And we're talking about COVID-19 and the, the pandemic that's going on right now. How are you, you know, managing that? What do you see, you know, in terms of the obstacles, the hospitals and just Brooklynites, how they're, how are they managing the situation? Great question, brother, and, and, and I need for you to really hear me on this, mm-hmm. you know, because people, oftentimes, we address things in the space of where we are and don't have a real a view of it. So the co- co- coronavirus needs to be examined on many levels. We can't come out of this where some people are substantially negatively impacted based on than others are mm-hmm. all of us are going to get a all of us are going to get a hit but you know the saying you know it better than me when america catches the cold black, black people folks catches <laughs> pneumonia there you go <laughs> we all know it. <laughs> <laughs> we catch we catch the flu pneumonia or in some cases even death mm. and that's where we are that's where we are right now mm-hmm and so you have to be careful of the terms that are being used, and you must drill down on those terms. When folks start talking about the telecommuting, we are not the telecommuters. Mm. We're the, we, are, we, we are the supermarket employees that must be on duty. Mm. We're the train operators, the bus operators. We are the 911 operators. You go to 911 over on Fulton Street, and you see predominantly black and brown women that are inside that place, they have to be there every day. Mm -hmm. They're essential employees. And so when you start having a conversation about telecommuting, you are talking to the elite of the city. Mm. You're talking to the managerial staff, and you're talking to the highest staff for the most part. you got a few of us sprinkled into um, able to do their jobs at home, but for the most part, those are the managerial staff, the elite staff, and those managerial staff are not black and brown people for the, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so telecommuting is not a, 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 our job is not a telecommute. You can't telecommute if you're a bus driver. Mm-hmm. You can't telecommute if you are a train operator, if you are the produce person in a supermarket, mm-hmm. if you're the person that unload those boxes, that's not a telecommuting job. And so everyone who's working now are essential employees and those essential employees must get the necessary equipment they need so that they are not impacted by this, by this virus. Second, mm. we got to fight this virus on two fronts. We can only fight the virus on the front of the hospital. That's, that's the crisis. That's the front line. Mm-hmm. But we can't, feed, we can't feed the crisis. What mm. do I mean by that? If we know that the individuals who are most susceptible to having a fatality around this are people who have pre-existing conditions, who are over 60, who deal with chronic diseases. I just gave you the, the, the description of NYCHA in inner city black and brown community, lack of access to health care. Mm. So we need to be giving them the 
tools they need that they don't end up with the virus. Mm. That's, that's masks, gloves, education. That's why I was in NYCHA these last few days giving NYCHA residents masks that they can wear and tell them when they go to the supermarket and all the tips that they need because the information is not trickled down. Mm. I was in Canarsie the other day talking to a group of young people and they were playing basketball. And I said, listen, I said, you know, hey, brothers, y'all need to be, um, you know, so, you know, social distance. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what the hell is social distance? Mm. And, and, it, and, and it hit me. Every community doesn't run to the cafeteria, I mean, run to the local uh, store to buy the New York Times. Mm. Everybody's not sitting down listening to Cuomo's debriefing mm-hmm. and, and listening to Trump. You know, I got Korean populations in Brooklyn that don't speak English at all. Mm. Who's telling them about what they need to do? Mm. I, I have communities that don't live in this echo chamber that we live in. And we have to stop believing because we're listening to Cuomo and de Blasio and Trump that everybody's listening to them. There's a whole body of people that are not aware of what, you know, how this virus passed mm-hmm. and don't know what they're supposed to, supposed to do. We got to communicate to everyone. Mm. And that is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you doing? You just know? going locally, you know, door to door? On the ground, brother. Wow. On the ground. On the ground. Wow. Uh, generals, generals don't lead from the rear. Generals lead from the front. One of my favorite movies that I love was Gladiator. Mm. In the scene where Russell Crowe spoke to his men before he went into battle. And he didn't sit back and say, tell me how the fight was. He led them into battle. Mm. That's for the general. That is a, that is, those are the men I know about. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to tell a 911 operator to show up for work every day. I'm not going to tell the supermarket clerk to show up. I'm not going to tell the firefighter, EMTs to show up and I'm home. Mm. No, no. I'm a lead from the front. And so we're in the street every day. We're, we're showing people how to survive this virus. Mm. And that's what it takes. That's the type of leadership we need, not only in this city and in our neighborhood, but in this country. We need people who are willing to lead. Mm. That's what we need. Listen. Yo, man, I feel like you were you were part of a dying breed, brother. Um, people that get into this business for the for the real reasons why you need to get into this business. A lot of people get into politics because they have access to money, uh, access to you know influence and so forth. But you you clearly in it for the real re- the right reason, man. And I appreciate you know you for that, man. Um, it's definitely. Um, Feels good. Give me hope, bro, because you know, you look at you look at the politics situation right now from a national perspective, you're like, wow, look at these people just just getting paid, you know, off of off people's misery and don't really care about the people, you know? Um so we, that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast, but you know, just talking to you, man, give me a little bit of hope, man. And we do things for different reasons, brother. And I'm I'm I am I, I'm paying off an installment. I'm paying off a debt. Mm. You know, I sold my mother. I sold my mother into emotional slavery when she came into the precinct that day when I was arrested. Mm. And I'm paying off that debt. You know, in the four four installment plan. Wow. Which, uh, I paid off. I paid off the first installment when I became a cop. The second installment when I became a senator, and the third installment when I became the ball president. And when I become the mayor, I could tell mommy I paid the toll. <laughs> and your I, mother's still I'm there, like Prada, 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 <laughs> Prada, her son, huh? That's right. So you know, she has six children, and she loves them all, but she adores me. <laughs> so, in terms of your ambitions to become mayor of New of New York City, um, how do you see yourself impacting? You know, such a broad, because you're not. It's not only Brooklyn no more. It's not only, you know, old Brooklyn or old New York. There's a lot of new you, New York. You know, out there who just care about their bottom line and don't really care about the people who's below them or you know not as fortunate as them. 
how do you engage that 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 population and how do you impact new york where that wealth is shared amongst everybody because there's a lot of wealth here and we waste it and as i tell people all the time we have a 94 billion dollar budget mm. you mean we can't run a city with 94 billion dollars we've got so used to wasting the resources of this city and that's what it's about It's showing how to manage this city that we will no longer waste the resources of the city and that is what i'm going to show people to do uh, this city can function it mm-hmm. can function much better than it is function for everybody tax dollars for everybody there's enough in this city uh, for everyone to benefit from and it's unfortunate that because we have not learned how to stop governing downstream. It's more expensive when you have a downstream type government. Mm-hmm. You know, just look at look at one of the biggest conversations we had these last few days, um, a month if not a year or so, was the closing of Rikers Island, mm-hmm. the where uh, young uh, people are incarcerated. That's a, that's a that's a downstream mindset. Think about it for a moment. 80% of the men and women who are on Rikers Island don't have a high school diploma or equivalency diploma. <clears throat> a third of the 18-year-olds read below the fifth grade reading level. Mm. 55%, have, 55% have a learning disability and 30 to 40% are dyslexic. If we solve their education problem mm. upstream, they will not be talking about closing the building, we need to close the pipeline to feed the building. Mm. And that saves money. If we only spend $50 million a year, we can give children in foster care life coaches so we won't have 12% enrolling in college and only 3% graduating and having them drop out of school and not feel as though they're part of the city that they could be part of. Mm. We are responding to crises. One agency feeds the crises, Another agency responds to the crisis. No, no greater level than that, understanding of that, than a board of education. You know, a lot of people know my journey on di- with diabetes. I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Lost my sight in my left eye. Oh, wow. I was going to lose my sight in the right. Yeah, yeah. Doctor told me I was going to be blind in a year. I had permanent nerve damage that was going to lead to amputation, high blood press- pressure, high cholesterol. And I decided that I wanted to take control of my health and after going to five doctors that told me that it was hereditary, there was nothing I could do. My mother was diabetic. My sister and brother were all diabetic or pre-diabetic. I went to switch my diet to a whole food plant-based diet. And within three weeks, my vision came back. Wow. And within three months, yeah, three months, my nerve damage went away. And so... What's a, plant, what's a plant-based diet? What is that? It's... It, is, is stop eating, eating all that meat. You know, oh, period. If, if, if folks go, yeah, folks go, if folks, if folks go online, if your listeners go online, trust me, everyone you have that's listening to your podca- podcast knows someone that's dealing with a chronic disease. Mm. Trust me. And many of them are dealing with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a whole food plant-based diet means that you are taking meat out of your diet and you're eating a healthy diet. Your, our bodies need nutrition. No chicken, no are, beef, are, no fish. I don't. I don't eat any meat at all. No wow. meat at all. If it has a, if it has a mother, father, or face to it, mm. then it doesn't go in my mouth. Mm. <laughs> you know. How long and, you been doing this? How long you been, you know, on this diet? Uh, about four years now. Wow. And uh, I, I had an ulcer. The ulcer is gone. No medicine, brother. No medicine. Wow. My eighty-year, my eighty-year-old mother was diabetic for. 15 years, seven years on insulin. She went whole food, plant-based, and in two months, she cycled off of her insulin. Wow. You know, the body will heal. The body wants to heal. Mm. We're the ones that destroys it. And you know what's deep about it? I have met some of the most intelligent, intellectual black people I've ever met in my life that have built businesses and great companies and corporations and graduated from some of the greatest institutions. You want to see some buffoonery? Tell them they got to give up that ham. <laughs> Tell them they got to give up that fried chicken. 
They, they, they will build a business but destroy their body. Mm. I got cats I know that will drive around for hours to find the right gas to put in their car, mm. the right oil to put in their car, but don't give a damn about the food they put in their body. Mm. We eat slave food, man. Mm. The food we eat comes from the plantation, mm. you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, but there's a lot of, like, you know, I'm Jamaican, and there's a lot of West Indian, and there's a lot of cultural... Uh, connection to eating meat, like the curry chicken, the curry goat, you know, the beef stew. I mean, how do you tell those people to like, you know, drop that and embrace this plant-based diet? Plus, uh, plant-based diet is like more expensive sometimes, don't you? Don't, isn't it? I, I want I want to answer both those questions because they're very powerful questions and they're real questions because food. Food is not only what you put in your mouth. Food is how we define ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm clear on that. And so when you start going after someone's food, you're really going after, wait a minute, that's my aunt. My aunt gave me that recipe. Mm -hmm. Negro, what you trying to do? Tell me my aunt is poisoning me. Right. So right. I, know a sensitivity. I, I know there's a sensitivity to it. But let me say this. We are of the era of enlightenment. And people need to dig into and find out why we need to be in a, we need to be at a place in our lives now when we're no longer doing things just because we've always done them. Mm. We need to say to ourselves, how do we start doing this? And when you start to explore this thing we call culture, it became culture because the slave master said, you Negroes are not eating anything else but the garbage from our table. Mm. And that is what you're going to be able to eat. So now those of us who are the enlightened ones, we need to go back and say, why are we eating this? And when you start to dig into that, mm. you're going to say, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> these were the scraps from the slave master's table. Mm. So we have a question now. Do we, do we perpetuate the slave master's tradition who must be in his grave right now and say, I don't have to worry about Ken Thompson being the first African-American district attorney because he's going to get colorectal cancer mm. before he's 50-something years old. I don't have to worry about Eric Adams being the first black ball president. That Negro's going to be blind, mm. and I don't have to worry about it. Jesse Jackson has Parkinson's disease. The bullet that killed Dr. King in Memphis didn't hit Jesse, but the food that the slave masters had us eating all these years is taking his life. Mm. That's food-related, dementia, Alzheimer's, mm. diabetes, heart disease, mm. all food-related. So, you know, cats can say this is our culture. No, it's not our culture. Mm. Our culture is to live healthy and be kings and queens, not to be toxic and mm. be poisoned by the slave master's ritual. Mm. And I know it's not a comfortable conversation, but we're not looking for comfort. We're it's looking real. for truth. It's real. And that's, I mean, we want real, you know, think about, like, you're right. Think about how we came up with these, you know, our diet, you know, the stuff that we, right. we, we've grown accustomed <laughs> to eating and, you know, you know, all these different foods and, you know, how has Don't it impacted <laughs> our culture? And it's not, I, I, I don't really believe in that thing about her, her, hereditary i don't believe that crap at all it's, it's not brother it's not our d it's not our dna brother it's our dinner mm. my neighbor <laughs> my neighbor that lived next to my mother died of diabetes mm -hmm. my mother had diabetes they don't share the same dna they mm. share the same dinner mm. <laughs> they both ate the same crap this mm. brother this is this is not a coincidence mm. that all of us have heart disease. All of us have diabetes. All of us are having these cancers. You know, this ain't. This is not a coincidence. Mm. You know, you, you go in our community, you see junk food. You go into affluent communities, you see whole food. Mm. Listen, and that's what we're that's talking what we're about. Talking like about. that plant-based diet is like ridiculously more expensive. You know, like a whole food. Un, 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 untrue. My 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 food bill went down substantially you can you can buy you can buy a bag of dry lentils and you can you can make lentil burgers you mm. can have lentil soup you could have a, 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 a lentils plain you one bag of lentils costs you two dollars i buy a bag of black bean black lentils cost me two dollars those lentils will last me the whole week. Mm. 
How about, you know, how about access? How about access, you know, um, in terms of it, it, in it, our neighborhood? It, access to, like, plant-based it, it, stuff. It, no, no. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm the first to tell you that, um, you know, the quality food in our community is not the same in, in others. However, what, what we're doing, we're showing people how to go in the supermarket and look differently in the supermarket. Mm. Look for the dry beans. Look for the dry black beans, kidney beans, uh, dry lentils. Uh, look for those food differently. Look for your fruits, your vegetables. Look for your, your kale, your lettuce. Look differently. Don't go in and go to those traditional junk food aisles that's everywhere with all of those pretty colors. You know, uh, how about being diabetic and, 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 and drinking orange juice? You might as well just take insulin and hook it right up to your vein. Mm. And, 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 I love and, some orange and juice, I'm sure you know, so, <laughs> what, man, that, that you, you might as well just hook up insulin to your vein. Mm. And, all sugar. And like none of, all sugar. And no one, has, not, when I went to my five doctors, I asked them, how did I get diabetes? None of them could tell me. And if you ask the average person, how do you become diabetic? They'll all give you these other different ways. Hereditary, too much carbs, too much sugar. Mm -hmm. No, man, you get diabetes. Diabetes comes from saturated fat. Mm. Clogs your arteries and it doesn't allow the insulin to do its job. Mm. What is the number one producer of saturated fat? Meat. Mm. So, so no matter what you do, if you are diabetic and you still chopping down on that steak, you still going to be diabetic. Mm. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. So that, that, that insulin, you know, the drugs you, you are taking, the drugs you take does not cure you. It covers the symptoms mm. and it still destroys your body. That's what people need to understand. You are going down the path. So if I would have started out taking the metformin and insulin, I was going to then move to blindness. I was then going to move to limb amputation. I was going to then move to kidney failure. I was then going to move to death. Mm. That's the route. Mm. And you won't be mayor. <laughs> you, won't, <laughs> you won't be around for being mayor. So you said this you know, plant-based diet just changed our whole you know, trajectory. My whole life, man. My um, whole, the whole trajectory, different life, spiritually. Uh, I just feel good. My body feels good. You know, my mind is clear, man. I, listen, man, let me tell you something. Food, bad food is like crack. Mm, yeah. You, 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 you. You get someone hooked on crack, put them in one room, and someone that's hooked on fried this, jerk that. But it's all in the neighborhood, by the room. way. All these fast food stuff, you know, the Chinese store. Yes. All in yes. the neighborhood. Easy yes. access and, and, you know, reasonably cheap. So. Yeah, right, 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 right. And, and, and it's about, so, so I got a program. I got a program at Bellevue Hospital, the first of its kind in America. It's, it's, it's called Lifestyle Medicine. And. We thought we were going to have a small number of people. We have over 700 people on the waiting list to get in the program, about 170 people that are in the program. They're cycling off their medication. They are reversing their diseases. They're living a different life. We're showing the possibility. Now, I want my community to be healthy. Mm. We're, we're, losing, we're losing rappers at young age. Mm. We, we're being diagnosed at an early age of all of these diseases. We're dying. Mm. We're dying. We have 84 million people are, are pre-diabetic. 30 million are diabetic. We're spending 80 cents on a dollar on chronic diseases. We can't live like this. The number one killer of black women in America is heart disease, and it's preventable and reversible by going on a whole food, plant-based diet for the most part. Mm -hmm. Eating wow. healthy. Wow. Now, listen, I know we've been running for a long time. No, you, no. Put this you have to put... You, you got to put this podcast in two sections. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's good. It's good. I mean, I usually have an hour. I'm about to wrap it up, man. Um, but before I wrap it up, I want, you know, in terms of you said you found your purpose by taking this journey. Do Any advice that you want to give my listeners in terms of how do they find a purpose, you know, and live believe, true to who they believe. are? Believe. Just believe, you know, and believe and don't. You got to just turn down the noise. Mm. 
You know, just just believe there's a lot of noise. And I, I can't even tell you how many times uh, people wanted to just get in the way. And mm. I know folks out there that's listening to you, you know, there's, there are good days, there are bad days. There's going to be days that you would have wish you stayed in bed and days you wish you got out of bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the accumulation of all those days. And folks just, folks just have to believe. Mm. They believe in themselves, themselves, you know. So people have told me all the time, no, I couldn't mm. while I was doing. So that if I had one word to give people, it's just believe. Believe in themselves. And take a leap of faith. Mm. That's right. And take a leap of faith. Well, Mr. Adams, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Hey, um, brother. I'm going to have to fast track this podcast and release it like tomorrow <laughs> because <laughs> I, I feel like it's, it, it's it's so powerful and it's so pertinent to what's going on today. And I appreciate you sharing yes. all that knowledge and sharing your journey uh, with us and, you know, wish you a lot of luck and blessings. You know, I think you'll make a great mayor, um, if not senator, if not president, brother. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like, you know, you know, your purpose, you have a purpose is coming from a good place and it's all about the people. And I think a lot of people forget about the people as they go on this political journey. So it was, you know, like I said, it's a pleasure talking to you and, uh, you know, good luck, man. Appreciate it. And good luck Thank with you. these times. Man. I know you got, I know, I know you're busy in these streets, you know, trying to help our people. So good luck with that, you know, because a lot of it's, you Thank know, it's, you. We're, not even, we're not even at the peak yet, you know, it's just the beginning. No, it's so not. No, we it's got a long not. way to go. You're right. You're, you're so right. We do. And you know what? And we're going to get through this. Mm. We're going to get through this. And, and, and life, there's only two options. You make it or you don't. Mm. And I believe we're going to make it. We'll right. be fine. Brooklyn Strong. All right, my brother. That's right. <laughs> Be well. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Thank you all for tuning into Reverse Ambition Podcast. It is really a pleasure sharing these amazing journeys with you. It may take some time for you to find your purpose and realize your dreams, or for your purpose and dreams to find you. When it happens, don't be afraid to pursue them. Be more afraid if you don't. Trust God. Trust your journey, and most important, trust yourself, and it will all work out. Until next time, I am Kelsa Cooper, The Social Broker. Thanks again for listening.